Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hey y'all, I hope you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend with your families. Today's episode is an extra bonus episode. I had said that we were kind of done with No Porn November, but this just fits in a nice little bow there on the end of the month. If you're desiring a perhaps little shorter Brave Parenting podcast, well, today is your day. (laughs) Because today I'm going to be sharing the audio from an assignment I was given for my master's class titled Worship and Wisdom. I've mentioned before that I'm getting my master's degree in biblical studies and apologetics from the Master's University out of California. And this assignment was to choose a passage from Psalms or Proverbs and exegetically teach from that passage in a 20-minute video. I chose Proverbs 7, which Chelsea and I have actually referenced a few times throughout our No Porn November series. Proverbs 7, I believe, really provides a biblical model for parents to discuss hard topics like pornography, sexual morality, abortion, you name it, with our kids. And so I have an accompanying YouTube video if you'd rather watch me teach it versus just listen. There will be that link there in the show notes if you so desire. I'll tell you that on my grading rubric, my professor commended the video quality, and that is totally a praise to my awesome husband who works behind all the technology I engage with to make me look and sounds so much better. He set up the whole studio of cameras, lighting, microphone, you name it, all in my son's bedroom and edited post-production. And so he gets all the credit there. He also edits all of our podcasts and Chelsea and I are so very, very thankful for the work that he does for Brave Parenting. So in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we thank my husband, Ryan, so much. So without further ado, I will turn this over to this 20-minute teaching on Proverbs 7. I pray that it blesses you. And I'll just happen to mention that I got 100, so I feel solid about sharing it with you. (laughs) All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Today, we're going to study and learn from Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs, of course, is Old Testament wisdom literature, so it's no surprise that this chapter shares wisdom. Now, my NSAB Bible gives this chapter the title, The Wiles of the Harlot. The ESV and NIV title the chapter, Warning Against the Adulterous Woman. Perhaps this sounds like a lesson that is targeted to men, especially young men, but I believe that there is a lesson for both men and women, mothers and fathers, and the young and the old. Now, the first nine chapters of Proverbs features a parent's praise and admonishment of wisdom to a child. These chapters serve as the preparation for the actual Proverbs that begin in chapter 10. They do this by providing the young, which we can understand as like the less wise person, with the benefits and rewards of following the wisdom of a father or of the instructor. The book of Proverbs personifies wisdom and folly as a woman who calls out to all who will listen. Part of the parent's instruction to the child is to follow wisdom and to help the young person discern woman wisdom's voice as she calls out. Now, this practice of exhorting children to seek and to treasure wisdom and how to make wise choices has always been important. However, I dare say that today more than ever, it is of greater importance. Why? Because we live in a culture that values personal truth. 
That is a truth that is fluid and that can change from day to day or even minute to minute. It's a culture of relativism and of amplified sexual expression. Or I can say it more succinctly that in the days of the internet, Lady Folly's seductive words call out to every young person and they listen intently. Woman wisdom, you could say, has been canceled. (laughs) Folly reigns today in the internet age. But before the age of the internet, before Google was our go-to source of information, the mother and father, but especially the father, was the primary source of wisdom for the children. It was the parent who understood how the world worked, and they imparted their wisdom onto the child. But before I dive into the text of Proverbs 7, I want to emphasize the sufficiency of Scripture. The world, especially the internet, often makes the claim that the Word of God is archaic and antiquated, completely insufficient to deal with today's issues. But today's text will prove that is simply not true. God and His Word are unchanging, and it's the only foundation that we can rely on when teaching young people wisdom. So let's begin to look at how the parent begins this conversation with their child here in Proverbs. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. So let's pause there and say, so right here we can hear the emphatic tone that the father and you know, this parent or the instructor is imparting on their child. You know, and this is repeated in each of the first nine chapters. He's urging his son to keep and treasure his words as if they are gold, as if they're the most precious gift that they'll ever receive. In verse two, he implores them to Keep the teaching as the apple of your eye, right? We use this phrase still today, and ultimately it means that the wisdom, right, should be like the center focus and even the delight. Sort of as Israel was was the, the apple of God's eye, wisdom and teaching should be the center of this focus of this young disciple. Furthermore, he says that the parents' instruction, they should be, you know, bound on the finger and, and written on the tablet of their heart. This refers to Deuteronomy 6.8, emphasizing the importance of remembering these instructions, that they should make an indelible mark on their heart and become a permanent nature, part of the nature of that child's life and conduct. And in verse 4, we see the father advising the son to be protective of wisdom, right? To call wisdom his sister. See, in Old Testament culture, the sisters often referred to in wisdom poetry in reference to the beloved or a wife. So as we see in Song of Songs, the general admonition here is that wisdom and understanding should be as cherished by you as like your spouse or your very best friend. So let's continue here in the text and see what wisdom lesson is being offered. So verse 5 says, that they, they being the wisdom and the teaching, may keep you from the adulterous woman, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, and I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. 
So first, here in verse 5, we've arrived at the very reason for this wisdom lesson. And it says that the youth would be kept from the adulterous woman who flatters with words. It would be a whole lot easier if the parent would just simply say, son, please listen, don't go near the adulterous woman, right? In our culture, we could translate, translate that to be like, hey, kiddo, don't watch online pornography. You know, just don't do it, believe me. <laughs> but that's not sufficient. It's not enough. The young person needs to know how to not go near her and why they shouldn't. Knowing this, right, the wise parent here launches into a narrative about a time that he witnessed this happening. And this portion of the lesson is crucial because the young person can picture themselves inside this narrative and this situation and watch it unfold. So the narrative begins with him looking um, outside of his window. Surely we've all watched our neighbors outside of our windows, see what's going on in the neighborhood. So we get this, right? And the parent sees a young man. He is described as one who lacks sense or lacks heart. Proverbs uses this term to describe one who commits adultery and destroys himself. In chapter 6, 32, he is also naive. No one has instructed him in wisdom and therefore he doesn't know, right? There are plenty of examples if you were unsure of what this looks like on the internet, on TikTok, on YouTube, right? Sadly, online foolish youth are far more common than the wise. And more than that, verse 9 shines this spotlight on this youth's foolishness. Foolishness. Scripture states he is walking towards the harlot's house at night, in the evening, in the, right, in the middle of the darkness. Right? No matter what age you are, chances are at some point you have heard a parent or an adult say something along the lines of nothing good happens after midnight. Right? There is a reason for curfews, and that's because it is way easier to do wrong under the veil of darkness whether that be committing a crime, walking to the prostitute's home, right? This young man is absolutely at the wrong place at the wrong time. Disaster is imminent. So verse 10 continues with this parent's narrative. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares and lurks by every corner. So the ESV translates her appearance in verse 10 as dressed as a prostitute and wily of heart. So for the most part, her attire, what she's wearing, is signaling her intent. Again, probably not hard to imagine in our day and age. Now, ironically though, she's in the streets and in the squares. This is the exact place that in Proverbs 1, that woman wisdom is calling out to everyone who can hear. But the harlot, she takes her folly to the very same place that wisdom is. But she doesn't call out as wisdom does. Instead, she's like lurking behind corners, right? She knows in her soul what she is doing is wrong, but she delights in her sin. So she lurks around to find others to pull down into her depravity, right? The idea of misery loves company. So let's see what happens next in this narrative in verse 13. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today, I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. Remember what we have happening here. A young man without any sense, wandering around in the, in the wrong area of town late at night, and a woman dressed like a prostitute seizes him and kisses him. She didn't just catch his eye and act flirtatious. It's more like she's 
hunting an animal and she's lurking and waiting patiently. And she went and sees him as if he was prey. Not only that, she's kissing him before she even speaks to him. Now, it's not difficult to imagine this young man's response. Let's remember, he was walking down the street towards her house. Perhaps, although we cannot be for sure, he was looking and waiting for this moment. But assuming he wasn't looking for her, and assuming that maybe this sudden panic kicked in and he thought, oh man, what am I doing here? This is crazy. Let's listen to the woman's words to see how her smooth talk silenced any possible moral questioning going on inside this young man's heart. So the harlot says, back to verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. So so in this verse, she's telling him like, hey, I've got food left over from my peace offerings, right? Which according to Levitical law stated it had to be eight before the end of the day. So she makes herself sound really religious and even pious. You know, surely if this harlot is so spiritual, Um, Maybe she's not all that bad, right? This is what the young man might be reasoning to himself. She sounds good, but she's also appealing to all of his senses. She's essentially saying, hey, my house is clean. My bed is ready. And then she's like brutally honest when she says, come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. We all know what this means, right? Let's have sex all night. But when morning comes, we're over and done. (laughs) And more than that, her words of, Let's delight ourselves, right? This is instant gratification that she's offering. And if that's not enough, she's saying, hey, there's no way that we're going to get caught because my husband is traveling. He's not home. She's promising him anonymity, right? Let's have fun all night long for this one night. No one will know. And then we'll never have to see each other again. So we can see where this is going. And frankly, it doesn't get any better. As we see in verse 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her, and as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. So the parent's poem takes a dramatic shift when we see the comparison of the youth to an ox who is headed for slaughter, right? There really isn't an alternative meaning other than death here. His naivety is holding him oblivious that he is marching to his death. This wise parent then uses several analogies here to to really emphasize the point of what's going on. He is caught and he doesn't know it and it's gonna cost him life as he knows it. So the father goes on and concludes his lesson in verse 24 and he says, Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is on the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. So the narrative is over and the father is just reaffirming. Listen, this is what I have seen happen time and time again. This temptation is real. And this is actually what it looks like. 
right? Not everyone in the world is moral, but I want you to be pure and I want you to be moral. You should be. So he isn't just telling them, son, you should wait until you're married to have sex and then just leaving it at that. No, right? This father is determined to lead his son in wisdom and is giving him a picture of the reality of temptation. You know, centuries later, Paul would explain in his letter to the church in Corinth that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Common, common to man, right? You can't help that you're going to experience this temptation, but you can't help yourself when you apply wisdom and understanding to that temptation. The father says, don't let your heart turn aside to her ways, right? The father knows and understands how easily the heart can turn to sin, especially sexual sin, especially when a woman so brazenly throws herself at you, especially now today's day and age when it's free, when no one will know, when it's easily accessible on our smartphones and computers and game consoles. It is all too easy to turn our hearts aside to sin. And if your heart is led astray, your feet will follow. We cannot underestimate the power of sexual temptation like this. You have to know how to handle the tempting situation before it arises. Because once the temptation is in your face, your flesh may not likely and most likely cannot apply wisdom to your actions. Even more, the father says, don't stray into her path. This means keeping as far away from the temptation as possible. It's like, do you want to be and stay pure? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee, flee from sexual immorality. And in that context, it's not just like the man is running away when the woman has seized him and kissed him. It means staying as far away as possible from her path. Like if you know where she is, you don't even go anywhere near her. You don't walk down her road. Now, all of those today who do value and treasure wisdom and understanding know that this word is true. Whether you've fallen into this temptation and sin, or you know someone who has, the consequences you know are indeed tragic. First, praise God for his mercy and his grace when we repent from our sins. Amen. Second, however, we need to recognize that this ancient wisdom poetry applies directly and appropriately to our lives today. I've alluded to some of these aspects as we've walked through the text, but I'd like to make three specific points as we end this teaching. Number one, these Proverbs are a biblical model for parents to teach children about hard topics. You know, many parents fear talking to their children about pornography because they feel like that alone will either ruin their innocence or it will spark curiosity. But the examples set before us here in Proverbs 7 demonstrate that there is an appropriate way to discuss the topic as a warning and imploring them to choose wisdom and equipping them with ways to avoid the temptation and sin. This is the parent's responsibility, even in this time of Proverbs. No one else in the community was ever expected to impart this wisdom. Not the schools, no friends, not the synagogue, the government, no one. The training absolutely occurred in the home from the parents. Not only that, the teaching is direct, and it's always fully honoring God's law for morality and holiness. If you want to talk about Um, sex outside of marriage, pornography, homosexuality, abortion, transgenderism, you know, these hard topics, here is your model right here in Proverbs. Number two is parents or even grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, mentors, frankly, all the above. The more united voices we have, the better. 
we need to impart biblical wisdom to youth. We as parents have lost our ground as the all-wise sage in our child's life because from the earliest of ages now, children are learning that the internet has all the answers. And the core problem with this, of course, is that the internet and certainly all the tech companies behind them don't hold a biblical morality or ethic to guide them. They have become the de facto wise sage, but their wisdom looks an awful lot like the shifting shadows of the world and nothing like scripture. So we cannot allow the internet to lead and guide our child's worldview, morality, character, and behavior. And finally, number three, most importantly, maybe the harlot or this adulterous woman spoken of here is our cultural equivalent to online pornography and thus provides wisdom on the topic. Consider these comparisons. In the same way the naive and senseless young man walked down the street towards the harlot's house, any unknowing, naive, and senseless boy or girl can easily and unknowingly click on the wrong website or the wrong picture and instantaneously and irrevocably be exposed to explicit pornographic content. Similarly, just like the adulterous woman sees him and kissed him, the pornographic content paralyzes, but yet captivates the young one's every emotion. And the internet provides multiple ways to ensure that no one will know, whether that is deleting the browser history, using an incognito window, downloading a VPN. Google Wisdom is all too ready to provide methods of privacy just as the harlot did to her naive prey. So if you're a parent, I say this to you, not only is it imperative to know and understand for yourself, for your own purity, but to know this and to be able to explain the reality of this temptation to a child without knowing the nuances of how they could accidentally see pornography, when it's appropriate to be online and why these images will perhaps scare them, maybe even excite them and what the temptation looks like and what they're gonna do when it happens. They need to know, otherwise they'll inevitably be led like an ox to the slaughter. It'll be too late. They'll be captured by the sin. So as scripture implores you, I implore you to treasure wisdom on this topic and share that wisdom and teaching with your children. To all of us, though, as we close, let us meditate today on how verse 26 says that numerous are the victims she has cast down and many are all her slain. You know, one statistic states that 40 million Americans regularly visit pornography websites. Another states that one in five youth pastors struggle with pornography. Pornography is secret and destructive sin that's equally a problem inside the church as outside the church. If we were to equate the numbers consuming porn with actual death, as Proverbs 7 does, it would be an apocalyptic loss of life. How our Father's heart must grieve this sin. So as we close out this lesson of Proverbs 7, I'm going to return to the first couple of verses, and I want us to hear them as though they're spoken to us, not by our earthly parent, but from our heavenly Father, whose love abounds for us. My child, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. What a privilege it is to have God's word recorded in scripture and praise God that it is sufficient for all of our current struggles, just as it was sufficient in Solomon's day. I pray that this message blessed you today. Thank you. 